Welcome to Business Unveiled Podcast. This is the place where we help overwhelmed, time-starved entrepreneurs like you make the profitable shifts to get more done and get more out of life. I'm your host, Angela Prophet, award-winning eight-figure entrepreneur and CEO. And in every episode of Business Unveiled, I'm bringing you conversations that will give you the expertise and strategies that will scale your team and business so you can get shit done. That's GSD in our world. So get your time back and grow a business that helps you be present in your life. Let's do this, y'all. GSD leader, I wanted to take a quick break from the show to share something super important. Did you know that employee wellness is killing businesses? According to research, 50% of employees miss one to five hours of work every week due to stress. So I'm excited to announce that we just launched a new workshop called Walk and Work. And no, we're not going to be walking and working the entire time. That would be kind of crazy. Walk and Work is an easy solution that offers an in-person workshop and program that boosts employee health, wellness, and engagement. This interactive workshop takes employees through our seven-step process to establishing healthy habits while working from home or from the office so they can be productive while also taking care of themselves. Employee wellness at work is proven to have major benefits. Numerous studies show that healthier, happier team members are more productive in life and business. Do something today that your future self will thank you for. Your actions and decisions today will shape the way you will be living in the future. If you'd like to learn more about this workshop, visit walkandwork.co and schedule a time to chat with one of our GSD experts. That's walkandwork.co. Now let's get back to the show. What's up? It's Angela. I'm back for another episode of Business Unveiled, and welcome to my kitchen that we don't cook in. Today, we're having a return guest on the podcast, which we don't have many return guests, but Amanda had a great idea that this is your fifth year in business. Bobby Young, owner of Covert Results, and it's been five years since you've been on the podcast. We talked to you back when you left working with the government. And I thought that it would be great to share with our community what are the top five things that you've learned over the last five years of, of opening a business and running a business and you've grown so quick and, and how has it been going? So, but, but before we jump off and do that, can you give us a quick story of what, what's your backstory in case they haven't listened to the first podcast? You'll have to go listen to it for the backstory because we don't have time to go into all of it today. Yeah, so I was with the Metro Nashville Police Department from 2007 to 2018, decided to leave the government workspace industry, whatever you want to call it, and enter the private life and entrepreneurship. Started the company in March 2018, and it's already February 2023. So we're on our sixth year of business. Um, started from nothing, sitting at my kitchen table, not this kitchen table, but here we are again at another kitchen table. Talking <laughs> what about, happens in the kitchen tables? <laughs> talking about the business, but really from the very beginning, I mean, it's just all about hard work and boots, boots on the ground approach, having the right people, having the right team around you, and just staying consistent with working and content, which you all obviously help with. And... I mean, it works, it really does, but it just takes time and you just have to stick with it. So consistency matters is like the big thing that I hear out of that. So take us back 
in the beginning of your journey, why, when people say, why would you, why did you leave your, your corporate job or your government job or your real job? Like there was a driving force that said to you, okay, it's been X amount of years. It's time to do your own thing. Cause I know, I mean, for both of us, I, you know, I was near 30 and I was doing two things at once and living a dual life. And it's hard to do all that. And when you're getting married and you're starting a family, it's like, you know, dividing your time, which is something that I want to ask about. But what was that one thing that made you say, okay, it's time? There are many, but it was a very tough and big decision to leave government work. It's easy to get a check every two weeks and great benefits. And it was a great stepping stone. I encourage everybody to work somehow in the public industry, um, yes. public sector, government space, uh, to learn what hard work really is for low pay. The number one thing why I left and started a company is because I was being held down. I mean, that's really what was going on. But let's, can you define what that means? Like held back right. opportunities were not happening because of political reasons. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a... That's what it comes down to. Yeah, politics is one. Um, you're, sometimes you could be placed in a, on a team or a unit surrounded by people that don't share the same values and visions that you do. And when you work and excel higher than others around you, then you're not liked. So, it's and, it's, and it's just true. I mean, sometimes you work really hard and enjoy and respect your job and um, you're just sometimes penalized for that. So that's really one big reason. I mean, there are several other really uh, big factors in leaving when I did. I had a ACL injury where I still to this day cannot sprint. You just had another so, surgery. <laughs> yeah, I just had another surgery in November. Um, but it was I, a blessing. Yeah. It, still a blessing. Yes, yeah. But if I was on the streets and trying to chase after someone, um, it was it would be impossible. I could not I could not sprint. So um, gain thirty pounds ish because I can't sprint. But he just doesn't know it. Those he, are excuses. So you might get a walking treadmill. To, you actually have a Peloton. Yes. But but doing Peloton and and do, having like a, a treadmill desk while you're doing it's like two different completely experiences. And so just like moving and walking, and um, I think you should get one. He just doesn't know it yet. I, I love the job, though. And yeah. I mean, doing wiretaps is, is literally, if y'all listening, you remember the show uh, The Wire, which I never watched. Um, it is exactly the same. It's, it's, it, this is movie, TV show kind of stuff where we showed up at a warehouse, we had a big secure room with a biometric fingerprint uh, entryway, and you were sitting in front of a computer, putting your headphones on, listening to incoming calls coming in from large-scale drug dealers, uh, murderers, things like that. And it was, it was awesome, but politics totally got rid of the unit and just made me so bitter that I just was just done, and I think a lot of people in government space and, and um, especially in law enforcement right now, it's a big problem. It's just everybody's burnt out and they're, they're tired of it. So luckily I got out at a good time and uh, retired after 11 years successfully. And, you know, we're already six years into a private business, which is private investigations, armed security training, and now cybersecurity. Great segue. 
Great segue. But the, the reason I want you to wanted you to bring that up and tell the story is because sometimes, and I'm doing this in air quotes if you're not watching, bad things happen and we think it's the worst thing in the world. Like when you, um, and, and it's like we're doing fun slash silly stupid things as adults and I think you slid into a base and like it ripped your... Oh no, I was caught in a pickle between first and second base. <laughs> okay, the point is you were playing free softball. Yeah. For the the government, for a government. I mean, team. it was a recreational team, but everybody yeah. on the team, they were police and SWAT right. team, and they had a they had a good uh, a grand old time laughing at me while I was on the ground screaming for an ambulance. <laughs> so, but in that yeah. moment, it's like you're thinking about, oh my gosh, my gun, my badge, my job, everything's going to get stripped away. I'm going to have to. It come. did. It did. It did. Come off the road and then do desk work, which for three for, months. Yeah, for somebody with with our personality, it's just like it. You know, we have to have purpose, and we don't want to sit behind it. And listen, there's nothing wrong with. We need all these people, and we need all these jobs. But different personalities need different things to be fueled. And so the whole reason I I like for you to tell that story is because sometimes bad bad things happen that give you the time to sit down and focus and be still. And when you're still, things can happen. And that's where the pandemic. For a lot of people, we were able to be still, and that's why our culture has changed so much. And so if you're listening or watching, that's the first thing to know, that if something is bad, like you're going to have to look for those signs that, or you know that there's more, or you're outperforming your colleagues, or you're doing amazing things in somebody else's business, but then the other people around you, when I was in healthcare and did sales, Um, I would, you know, recruit more people and outperform people. And my bosses did not like me because they're like, you're so reactive and you want answers right now. And there's a bigger picture and you don't understand what's going on and you have to stop reacting. And in some of that, I do agree with that someone else's emergency is not always my emergency. And so it taught me a lot, but on the flip side of things, it taught me what I didn't want. And so now there's pros and cons to everything. But, you know, a couple of things is that you came out of that, started a business, and right out of the gate, you wrote a book about the largest... Cocaine seizure in Nashville history. Yeah, and it's called? Well, the original version uh, was called Gray, Rise and Fall of 1422, which 1422 was the case number. And then it was rewritten, and now is on Amazon. It is called The Good Line. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the cover, you could probably guess, you know, with Alana Coke, but it is, um, there were a lot of people in this community, like involved in in that stuff and just having people involved reading it. And they're like, oh my gosh, I, as as a consumer, or is that what you would call people who don't really know the day-to-day drug world? (laughs) Like, you know, an average consumer who's editing a book and she's like, holy shit, you know, I'd go to that Walgreens and get my, my prescriptions filled, and I didn't know at 3.32 p.m. in broad daylight, you know, there's these big drug deals going on, and you're leaving your dog and your kid in the car running because it's daylight, and you think you're in a safe area. It's just being bringing awareness to the community is so much more important. But the reason I'm asking you this is because, y'all, you're not going to go write a book and make a million dollars overnight. I think but, I made 50 cents last <laughs> month. Seriously, I got a check from Amazon. I think it was 50 cents for but there's, last month. There's, hey, we all have to start somewhere, right? But but there, was, there, there wasn't a whole lot of time to promote it, but from, not yet, but from a, a therapy standpoint, like, would you say to someone that is, and you even said the word, um, 
what would you say? Not salty, but you're burnt out and salty, mm-hmm. and you had had it. So it's almost therapeutic to sit down and write it out in a book. Yeah, well, I mean, you obviously have to get the book and read it to understand. It was the last and best wiretap case ever worked by the 20th Judicial District Drug Task Force. And it was a whole lot of work. And that's what a lot of the feedback that we've gotten from readers is that, oh, my goodness, I didn't know how much work y'all really put into it. How many years? Well, I mean, we were up on a wire, as in we were on different phone lines from July 2014 all the way to March 2015. So, I mean, that is a long time, and it cost a lot of money, too, and resources. But this small unit, it was six people. I mean, we got so much done, more than a lot of other units. I mean, it's been told that our unit uh, at the time was doing the second most wiretaps in the entire United States. Which is insane. And, and now it's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. Now there's so, a reason it's gone. Um, but yeah, you'll have to read the book. But um, So I would say, you know, that that's the second big pivotal moment is, you know, you, you really wanted to write a book and I'm over here like, are you sure you want to focus? I mean, you know, there's a lot going on. But at the same time, it's like, you know, my mentor is like, some people just need to get it out and like get the pain out and like put it down. And it, whether you sell one copy or not, if that one person reads it, it could help save their life or it could help with just them being more aware of what is going on around you. Because we're from a, a very a growing city that we were in a... Well, what I was trying to explain, I mean, the unit was so great and it yeah. just totally disappeared and went away. There was one local news outlet story on it that it was shifting or changing names, which was laughable. But I wanted people to know and understand the unit was was great. Mm-hmm. And there was no reason why it actually went away other than politics. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I wrote it was so people would know it was a great unit. There was nothing wrong with it. did a great job. But also in a little bit of way, revenge. I mean, I'll admit it. I was angry. And, you know, mom said, you got a whole lot of cuss words in that book, Robert. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. There are sorry. There are there were a lot of curse words. So the the rewritten or revised vision uh, or the revision copy, the good line does not contain as many curse words, but it's still a good book. It's just the nature of of, of the beast. And so um, you know, I was just thinking back about for five years. I, I don't know if if you do this yourself or your business or a business that you want to start, but doing a lifeline and every year doing like the highs and the lows for you personally and for the business. And if you look at five years, it's like, okay, damn, you know, you've, you've done a lot. Um, so in writing the book and in going through it, what is like your biggest takeaway if someone was like, I really want to do that, like what would you tell them? It's a long process. It's not going to be quick, and you're likely not going to make a million dollars writing the book. It, I mean, if you have already a lot of money, which I think... Let's define a lot of money. Well, I think some people that are producing books these days, and it says New York's bestseller, um, it's because they bought their own copies. I think it's, you have to, you have to sell like 10,000 copies in the first 48 hours or the first couple weeks that the book is launched so some people just buy their own copies which is kind of cheating I would say Um, but yeah I mean I I think if you're looking to write a book just do it and you know take your time don't rush through it but you're gonna have to dedicate 
probably six months to 12 months at least to write it and get it out. And if you are looking to make money, hire Angela and her crew <laughs> to brand it and put it out there and all the content and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, we just didn't have all the time to, to put it out there, but it, uh, it takes a lot. It takes time, it takes money, uh, but it, it was, I would say overall, it was definitely worth it. And it's, it's a great source of, you know, when people come to us and they're like, we want to do this book parties and these launch parties. And, you know, it's great, but it's also thinking about, you know, we like to do things like smaller books for lead magnets, meaning I'm going to give you something for free and you give me your email or your phone number if you want to be on our list. And, you know, it's a great, it's a great lead magnet. But knowing the purpose of why you want to write a book or why you want to do something, which I think for... I don't know. I mean, I'm just taking a stab at it, but it was more, I, I know for me personally, just getting it out and well, I don't write it down. Usually I, I voice dictate it, but it's just therapy. It makes you feel better regardless if you sell a thing or not. It's just about finishing that project sometimes that is going to mean something to you. Yeah. Everybody's got a story. So how are you going to tell your story? And yeah. in this sense, it was a monumental moment, a pivotal moment in my own career. It launched me into entrepreneurship based on what happened to me at the drug task force. So, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons. I just happened to put them in a book. And then the next big thing, so clearly I made a list, y'all, of like, these are the five things that I want him to talk about because I'm so proud. Um, the next big thing is you launched a nonprofit. And so I'd love for you to talk the business side experience of when he says these things to me and then I'm like, okay, it's not that easy. Like there's a, there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of waiting time. We've been through this with clients before, especially some of our clients that we've done their wedding and they want to set up a nonprofit or they would rather people put money into a cause. And many people, they, they don't know the resources sometimes that there's already things that are set up. And then many times they go to those places and it doesn't fulfill what they need because the focus is something else. So just because you hear of a, a nonprofit that is helping with ALS or HIV or cancer, they focus on very different things. It, you know, it just depends. And so you you did some research and tell them about the nonprofit. Yeah, so the nonprofit's called Operation Rose and go to the website, operationrose.org, check us out. And the specific and sole mission is to com combat human trafficking through education and training. There is an investigative piece to that, but we're focused solely uh, on the education uh, to hotels, motels, and schools. We know for a fact from our own experience that it, this type of crime is occurring within the hospitality industry, so why not target the hospitality industry for our free human trafficking and awareness training. So there was a retired, there is a retired detective from Metro Nashville Police Department, Jason Mayo, who works with me in my private investigation and security business, Covert Results. Uh, he decided to join us and very quickly I um, asked him about partnering up and doing Operation Rose as, as a nonprofit and giving back to the community because Jason uh, was the lead and head trainer for Metro Nashville Police Department um, regarding human trafficking training and awareness. So Jason was already doing exactly what we were trying to accomplish and had written the training material 
that was already being presented to the community. So when he retired, it was sort of an easy... Um, uh, Segway. Yeah, it was an yeah. easy segue to just go right into that. He was essentially going to be doing some of the same stuff as far as the training. But one big, big, big thing about training when you're under the government eye versus the private eye is there's no red tape. So the training that Operation Rose puts on is real. There's real pictures. There's live video. There are things that, in your, that are put in your face so that you understand, um, so that you understand the seriousness of what's going on here in Nashville and in, in, in the world, really. But no one regulates our training. And the government or the police department can't come in and say, well, we really don't want you to say that, or we don't want you to show that, or can you not tell the audience about this website? Well, you know what? It's the truth, and that's what I like about it. And it's our nonprofit. We're going to train people in the community how we want, and we've gotten really great feedback from uh, the community on it as far as showing them signs and indicators and what to look for. And Operation Rose, I just, I'm, I'm still like some of the, the things that I sit in board meetings and learn, I'm just flabbergasted that I've been in the industry for over two decades. And I mean, even some of the hotels that we've rented out for weddings and events and a lot of the owners and the, and the GMs, they, they don't even realize it's going on. And the most important thing is they don't have a process. Yeah. And mo most of them, they're actually denying it. They mm -hmm. just say it doesn't happen here. And yeah. It, it, it's totally ignorant to say that, honestly. And actually, if there's any hospitality people listening to this episode, you better pay attention because your establishment can get sued for not taking training in the human trafficking industry. I mean, if there is a victim of human trafficking that can prove that your hospitality or hotel had or motel had knowledge of what's going on they will sue you so take our free training again it's, it's free. free operationrose.org and there's a difference between um so depending on what state or country you live in there are certain regulations around it and until i actually started paying attention when i'm traveling and speaking and teaching i, I send him random marco polos and i have no idea what time it is sometimes because i'm in different time zones but every airport and everywhere i go no matter what part of the world or what country i'm in or what language people speak like human it's everywhere but i've never been looking for it and i never noticed it i never it's not that i turned my eye at it i just had no idea and then you you know awareness is brought to you and i'm just like holy shit like this industry is i mean it's just it's sick but i would say the the biggest thing that you guys did yes um you know you did hire a company to help like get all the nonprofit stuff. So, you know, outsourcing those expertise to an attorney and to someone who does it. But the biggest thing is you guys got a bill passed. And so I just wanted you to share your experience. Like how the hell do you do that? Well, it was actually just a resolution. So it's oh. essentially just a, a strong recommendation from the Metro Council, which if you don't know much about Nashville, Metro Council is one of the largest, and they're a pretty powerful government body, um, all elected officials. So we were able to get that passed unanimously. 
had a whole lot of um, sponsors on the bill that we passed. It was a it was a resolution, and that was in November of 21. So we started the nonprofit in January of 21, hired a company through the Entrepreneurs Organization, in which we're members of, and which is a great resource. Reached out, and they they helped us. It was it, the process was very easy because they knew what they were doing. And, um, but I would say if you're looking to start a nonprofit at the same time, it's not very easy. There is a lot of paperwork, uh, a lot of your time, uh, getting a strong board, their time. Um, and sometimes that's even harder getting someone's 30 minutes or an hour that you really need more than it's, it, it, that's harder than getting $10,000. Sometimes. Yeah. So what's your top? So the first gala just mm -hmm. happened and um you guys plan to make an annual event but what was your top takeaway that you learned from that gala where you're like god i wish i would have known this before um like was there one thing where you were just like yeah we if we had more time or if we had more of this i mean i think if we had better connections with bigger sponsors that probably would have helped a little bit especially alleviate alleviate some of the stress we had met early on and did a budget we already had a budget plan seven to eight months prior to the event so the the pre-planning really helped but probably the most stressful moment is not knowing if we're going to be able to make this event go because of all the costs that were associated with it. So, I mean, everybody wants to help. It is a nonprofit, but you know, in, if you're hiring people, vendors, and they're doing services or entertainment, I mean, they're also doing that, this for a job, for a living. So they're not gonna do it for free. They may help you out a bit, but, um, but yeah, I mean, so everybody pitched in at the last minute and it went off really well. I, I can't say without a hitch, cause there was some hitches, but. <laughs> Uh, but it went really well. Uh, you know, we didn't net a hundred thousand, but our goal in the very beginning was to raise a hundred thousand, and we hit that mark almost on the nose. Um, you know, we netted a little, little less than half of that, and of course, those funds are going to go directly to training and continuing education. And if we have any um, investigative tips that come in, um, we have a volunteer team of pri prior law enforcement that help. Um, with other nonprofits where we band together and help on the investigative side for human trafficking. But the two most important things is to know your budget, know your numbers, know where the money is coming from first and get that together before jumping ahead and planning all these things. And then at the end, worrying about where is all this going to come from and what about ticket sales and what about this and mm. what about that? Like it's not... Um, pa paperwork is huge and it's overwhelming and yep, you got to worry about taxes and 990s and you know I know trust me I've, I've learned and researched a lot and, and um, it's we're still in dealing with it right now I mean we're, we still have letters to get out for donations over $75 from last year so it's a work in progress but we're only getting better we went to a meeting on Tuesday with a bunch of hotels and you know they love the idea I mean, who doesn't? Free training. But it's just about getting the hotel industry, uh, grabbing their attention and getting all their employees in one room at one time so that we can speak and deliver our training and content. But the impact that it makes creating that process can save someone's life and it can change someone's life. So you quickly mentioned EO. 
And I would love to know, it's the entrepreneurial organization. If you listen to my podcast, I probably reference it every single podcast because it is the single most um, from, from just a growth and a leadership and running a business, the only organization that, that I stay in because committing to something long-term is hard. But when you, there's value from it, we do it. And so you, you, you quickly met that revenue goal, got into EO. Again, you made it a goal. You said the company's going to do this this year. And so I don't know if you guys can see the theme, but like I, numbers and goals matter. Even if it's one thing every year, one big BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal, that, but you have to block time on your calendar for that. And so um, what was the biggest takeaway thus far that, that has the value that you have gotten from being in an organization like EO? Well, I mean, the biggest thing is just being able to bounce ideas and um, ask questions to other business owners because your chamber of commerces, your um, other groups like that, other networking um, groups that are that get formed, most of them are, are pretty much, in my experience, they're not all business owners, insurance people, salespeople. They're not the decision maker. Right. Which is different. So, I mean, this is elevated in that sense where you're actually talking with people that make all the decisions and they know, um, they experience the same things that pretty much all entrepreneurs face, like um, worried about cash flow or worried about taxes or um, how do you start a second business or a third business or a fourth business. So, you know, those are, those are valuable those are probably the most valuable things and segue into us opening another business. You see, you read so my mind. We I'm have like, covert results and we have a nonprofit operation rose, which is essentially a business. And we're now going to launch another business and it's going to be solely dedicated to cybersecurity and combating the wire fraud problem. So there's obviously a huge issue out there, a billion dollar problem where cyber pirates, as I call them, are stealing money from people. Um, most of the time they are accessing their email and getting uh, account numbers. They're drawing up phishing emails and they're just really good at it. Um, people that are sitting around in a room and that's all they have to do all day long. And it's come up with scams. It's come up with schemes and scams and get, and get people's money. And it's taken out um, people, individuals, it's taken out businesses, 50, 100,000 at a time, millions. And I think that the team that we've built and the company that we're going to launch is, is really going to make a dent and impact in that. So we're here to punch them in the face. So if you're a cyber attacker listening, uh, yeah, you better run. Can you just punch at the camera right now? So that can be a, can we do it together? Five, six, seven, eight? That can be a gift. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. But it, it's shocking to me how many people, um, basically, I mean, I don't think we want to release the name of the company right now. I'm more excited about the product packaging. But the impact that it makes is this, this device. It kind of is like, you're, you know, you have to have cable and internet and a device to have all those things run in your house. And so it's a device that can track if people are trying to tap into things. And it's really going to, to disrupt 
It's going to be great for consumers because it's going to stop a lot of the fraud, but it's very much going to disrupt the industry that is buying things and selling things. I mean, these businesses, and then they're selling them off of Amazon, which I recently, in another podcast for Market, like... I couldn't believe they thought I was videoing things and I was going to sell it off to China. Anyway, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, as we wrap up, I mean, that's five big things. I mean, a book, a nonprofit, an organization that you stayed in, a, another arm, another business, um, you know, completely separate from covert results. And then the last big thing learn is how to manage people. Okay. Learn so how to do it. It's that, not easy. It, yep. uh, but Take the time as a business owner, no matter if you're a $100,000 business or a $100 million business, take the time to meet with every person that you are going to bring on to your team. We have a really, really great team, almost 20 licensed private investigators, and that's our value prop is that we're just better than the others uh, because of our people, but it's not it's easy managing uh, 15 to 20 different personalities as well. So that's been one of the more difficult things, but also it can be very rewarding and obviously growth in our business, taking it from the kitchen table from $0 to 1.3 million last year. Which is amazing. I'm so proud of you. There's one more thing I want you to mention as we log on to a Zoom meeting. You have, uh, you had a new baby this year, so you have two children and an awesome wife. And with all this business and growth and all these things, how do you manage your time and how do you make time? It's just multitask like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't always can, but you do what you have to do, but you've, You've done very well. The one thing I will say is like you make it a point every single night, you know, you're like, we're going to give the kids a bath mm. together and we're going to read together and we're going to say certain things. What does Ori say at night? Ori is strong. Ori brave. is beautiful. Ori is brave. Like doing those things that those children will never forget. Don't miss those moments. Like take that time, even if you are in a new business or you're opening a new business, like take the time to be present. Yep. Thanks for watching and listening. See Have a on, great day. See y'all in five years. Be sure to tune in next week to another episode of Business Unveiled. That's it for this week's episode of Business Unveiled. Now that you have all the tools that you need to conquer the world and GSD, get shit done, would you share this with your friends and fellow business leaders? One thing that would really, really help us and help new listeners is for you to rate the show and leave a comment in Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in and listen to Business Unveiled. You can check out the show notes at angelaprofit.com slash podcast and link up with us on social media so you can share your biggest insights and I want to know your aha moments. Until next week, remember, the profitable shifts and structures you're creating in your business help you be more present in your life. So get out there and GSD.